and we are live with another edition of the All Gas No Break Sports Show. I am one of your co-hosts, Nicholas Bavona, joined alongside by Andrew Johnson. And Andrew, week six is in the books in the National Football League, and boy, did it bring some major surprises in the NFL world. We had two undefeated teams going into this week. We no longer have any undefeated teams left in this NFL season, so congratulations once again to the Miami Dolphins. They continue their undefeated streak in history. But a crazy week. We almost had a big upset on Sunday Night Football. Um, We had another London game this week. Some big-time defensive stops for some teams, giving them some crucial wins going into their next games and for another team going into their bye week. But a crazy week number six, and we're going to week number seven. A lot is happening so far in the NFL world. Yes, I'm really concerned of seeing how many more te- games my team will lose this upcoming season. Uh, yeah. I have him going starting the season without one and seven. I had originally had him starting like three and f- four and three and five, but um, you know, I think it's gonna be one and seven now, and I'm okay with it. You you're kind of in the boat that the Giants were just a couple weeks ago, where you're at this point where you have one win in your next two games with the Dolphins and the Bills, and that's exactly where the Patriots are right now. So Godspeed. That's all I'm gonna say. I'm gonna need it. Yeah, we're probably going to need to because the Giants had a very uh, tough game on Sunday night, which we'll get into a little bit later on the show. But before we can get into the Sunday slate, let's start off with this past week's Thursday night game in Kansas City between the Broncos and the Kansas City Chiefs. Very low scoring game between these two teams as it was a mixture of the Broncos offense just really looked horrific in this game. Kind of looked like the Broncos offense we saw from last season. And the Kansas City Chiefs on the other side, they really just couldn't take advantage of the Broncos' mistakes in this game, and they had to settle for a couple field goals in this game. Only one touchdown on the night, that being from Patrick Mahomes throwing it to Kadarius Toney. And the Chiefs, they continue their streak over the Broncos, winning their 16th straight game against Denver, as they win this one by a final of 19-8. to um, Denver really just didn't have a chance in this one with the way that their offense went. Couldn't really run the ball as effectively as they would have liked to. Javante Williams wasn't bad on the night, but... When Russell Wilson throws for under 100 yards in this game, two interceptions, had a really bad fourth down play in the first quarter of this game that could have given the Broncos some momentum as the game went on. Really just all about, all around a bad performance from Denver in this one. They now dropped the 1-5 and five on the year. Kansas City with the win goes to 5-1, and one, and they barely cover in this one too because the line was 10.5. So if you were a Chiefs uh, better in this one, you had to sweat a little bit, but you got it done at the end of the day. So we have to discuss now two very important factors in this loss. And one of these has to be true, but both of them can be true. And Nick, I'm going to let you decide if it's one of the, one of these two or both of these factors. Either Russell Wilson is completely washed and we have never seen a drop-off this severe ever from an NFL quarterback. And or... Sean Payton is having the worst. He's regressed so heavily as a head coach on a year-to-year basis, and Nathaniel Hackett did a better job than him last year. Well, it's tough. Both of these can be true. Both of these can be true, but I'll I'll let you break down both of them. Those are the two points I want to talk about. I think it's tough to say with with, because Russell Wilson showed these signs last season also, and it was weird because throughout the first couple of games, Russell Wilson was not playing that terribly. I mean, he had a really costly fumble against the Jets the previous week, but he hadn't been playing all terrible football. The issue for the Broncos had been their defense this season was, compared to other years, was really horrific. And 
their defense showed up in this game against the Chiefs. It just went back to the team that we saw last year where the defense stepped up, the offense didn't step up. So going back to your statement where Russell Wilson, I mean, you, you've seen this before with him, so it's kind of not surprising at this rate. It's just really, for Denver's sake, it's kind of weird because they were expecting this guy to you know go back to his old Seattle days where he was one of the top quarterbacks in all of the NFL, and you're seeing it once he's going up there in age. He got this big contract, and it just hasn't worked in Denver. It's now, not like the Chiefs' defense is good either. I want to point that out. I will say, though, you might say that. The Chiefs' defense has been pretty good this season. They've had a good start. You, uh, could, bro- you could make the argument they've, they've played some weaker opponents on the offensive side, but they're playing who they've played so far, and they've done, a so I would say, a solid job so far defensively. Right. And that's why I want to talk about Russell Wilson's stats. Like you said, he's having a decent start. Raiders, Commanders, Dolphins, Bears, Jets. There's one defense in, out of those five that I, I could respect somewhat. There's one out of five. The other four are tissue paper. He's played right. one real defense so no, far this year. No, listen, I listen. I don't. I, I don't disagree. But there's been show. There's been signs of for Russell Wilson where he's made some decent throws, and everyone's like, "Oh, maybe he's back." But then you see this game against the Chiefs, and you're just like, "Oh." Maybe not. We're back to the old Russell Wilson that we saw last season. Russ is cooked. Not Russ. Let Russ cook. He is cooked. And the other thing with Sean Payton is, you got to remember, Sean Payton took a while off from coaching because of the stuff going on with the Saints. You know, they, they just couldn't agree to, on, a, on a, a contract, and they eventually traded him to Denver. Yeah, it's not like this guy has an amne- amnesia or something. Like, he completely forgot how to coach over, over the last season. So... I think the blame still – it's tough because Sean Payton hasn't been good so far to start off this career. I wouldn't say he's worth Nathaniel Hackett, though. I mean, yeah, he in Denver, absolutely. He's on pace to be worse than Nathaniel he's Hackett. He's on pace, but I, I still think there is still And he's not playing hope. good teams, too. He I easily s- could have beaten the Raiders, the Jets without Aaron Rodgers, or the Commanders. No, I, I, I'm, listen, I'm not disagreeing. I, I think the, the only thing for them is that you have this guy that is a proven winner before – that given time, maybe could get this team back on the right direction. Obviously, this season's pretty much washed, and they're going to have to just look going into the offseason think to themselves, okay, what exactly can we do to fix this defense? Because that's been the major problem this entire season so far. And I think you have to look at and also as, you know, Russell Wilson, it obviously hasn't worked out. This is year two of the experiment. He's still he's going to be here for still a while longer after. I think he's still six years left on this contract, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe five years. Um, but either way, you're, you're tied up into this contract with your quarterback. And if the Broncos continue to play the way that they're playing right now, they're going to probably be in the upper echelon of the NFL draft. In which mean the Caleb Williams lottery. They could potentially be in the Caleb Williams-Drake May lottery where if do you pass on a quarterback at that rate? Because we remember... Remember last season with the Seattle Seahawks, I'll make, it, uh, I'll make a comparison right there. The Seahawks, yes, were not bad, but they had a top five pick, and people were saying, do you take a quarterback in that spot? Because, yes, you have Geno Smith, but at the same time, can you really pass up on a quarterback? Now, obviously, they got Devin Witherspoon, and so far he's looked pretty good for them. So, But it's looking like they should have taken a quarterback. Well, I know. The, the Seahawks have had their offensive struggles, and we'll talk about them in a little bit. And... I think it's really going down to Denver is what do you think is the biggest problem right now for your team? Is it the full quarterback play or is it your defense? You got some good signs from your defense in this game, but 
if they have to continue to listen to play like this defensively, otherwise they're going to be looking at defense going into this NFL draft. So they're in a weird spot right now. It's 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 really you can't really pick one thing that's the biggest problem. I think it's a multitude of things that's so gone wrong with this team. Yeah, I think they're in a situation where come NFL draft time, they might be picking best player available because you realistically. It's either you go with the quarterback and you change your whole landscape of your team, or you go with the defense and you try to rebuild that defensive front, which they haven't had one in a, in a little bit. And you just say, you know what, we're gonna have to chalk one more year up with Russell Wilson, a quarterback, or something like that. So I don't know. They're in a really tough spot right now. Now they dropped the one at five. The season's pretty much lost for them at this rate. Yeah, I think they have to pack it up and start tanking. And Russ, don't worry, you'll be relieved of your quarterbacking duties in about 15 games. Well, we shall see. But now let's move into the Sunday slate. And we had the final London game of the season this past Sunday as the Baltimore Ravens took on the Tennessee Titans in a game where mistakes were certainly made by both of these teams. Uh, The Ravens had some red zone uh, mishaps where they didn't really decide to throw the football. They kept trying to run the ball, and the Titans kept stopping them, leading to a lot of field goals for Justin Tucker. And on the other side, the Tennessee Titans had a big uh, muff punt before the half that cost them points and gave the Ravens a bigger lead going into halftime. Um, not much really to discuss about this game otherwise than that. You had Lamar Jackson throw for 223 and a touchdown. Derrick Henry had a big game for the Titans, 97 yards rushing and a touchdown. I think the biggest story really coming out of the game is that the Titans now go to drop the two and four, and Ryan Tannehill gets injured in the loss. So the thing for Tennessee is now they go into their bye week at two and four. Tannehill, right now, we don't know the biggest severity of this injury. It doesn't look like he's got any surgery to, uh, on the right high, um, right high ankle sprain as of this moment, but he's questionable right now. So you have a bye week that does help you a lot, but if he's still injured, then you're you're looking at well, do you give the ball to Middle League Willis who played the rest of this game for Tennessee, or do you maybe look at Will Levis who they drafted in the second round this past NFL draft? So, Titans have an interesting conversation to make in the next couple weeks. I feel like you have to give them Middle League Willis. You have to know what this guy's made of now. You got him an actual receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. Yes, I I know I know he's old, but he's an actual receiver. He's been playing all right. You have Derrick Henry. The line is somewhat better. The defense is improved. So if you if you get a gamble right now, because this is a season which I think the Titans should gamble on, um, an eight and eight season, or well, I'm sorry, a nine and eight or an eight and nine season isn't going to cut it anymore, because Mike Vrabel is playing for his job. So you could either swing for the fences and Listen play Billy Quills, or he could trade for someone like Kirk Cousins. Titan fans are right uh, Titan fans are very no. Well, there's the thing about Kirk Cousins. Remember. They said that Hammer, he has a no trade clause, clause. in his contract. Yeah. So he said he's not going to waive the no trade clause. So it looks like he's going to stay in Minnesota, but they're in a whole other situation where do you sign him back? Do you go after a quarterback in this NFL draft? Who knows what they do? But for the Titans, you said about 89, 9, and 8 season. They're used to stuff like this. I remember they had Jeff Fisher for such the longest time, and every year it seemed, he was like, accepted. it seemed like they kept going 8 and 8 every single season or 7 and 9. And that was, at some points, maybe okay with them. But at the same time, you wanted to make the playoffs. And I don't think you're necessarily wrong where you're 2-4, and four, you're going into the bye weekend. I want to see the season already looks lost, but the AFC has some really stacked teams right now. And in your own division, you have the Jaguars starting to play some good football. 
The Colts did have a big injury with Anthony Richardson, and it looked like they were going to make some strides this season, but it looks like he's now done for the season, and now it's going to be Gardner Minshew, so who knows what happens with them. But the Texans have been surprising people as well. They're now 3-3 three and three in the year after being the Saints, and they look to be a team in the future that could really give the Titans some problems. So the Titans, they're in that situation where they're very much getting older, and they're going to have to start thinking about maybe at the trade deadline. Do we just say, you know what? We're going to have to sell some of our assets to try to get younger and try to get better for the future. That's a great – that's so tough. What assets would you be giving up, though? Can you uh, could you specifically name a couple so, so for think about it. So think about it. You you got D-Hop right in the, at the at – right. in free agency. That's See, a I, guy, that's a guy right asset, there. But he's yeah. not like an asset that's going to bring in a lot. But for any team that could be – think about it. For a team like the Chiefs, if you need an, a wide receiver – you could easily call up the tie-ins, give them maybe – it won't cost you much to get D-Hop. Like this, at, yeah, fourth, fifth-round pick at the best. And you get DeAndre Hopkins, you add him to that team, and that gives you another weapon for Patrick Mahomes. So you have that on the offensive side. You, I don't know how they feel about Derrick Henry. I mean, remember, they got Tajay Spears, and he's a young running back. Do they like him that much that maybe they would say, you know what, Derrick Henry has been a, a great Tennessee tight and one of the best in our entire franchise history. He'll go in the Ring of Honor, their Hall but, of Fame you can maybe get a second-round pick out of him because he's still that good. You're not going to get anything higher than a second-round pick because of the age that he's currently at. You might not even get a second-round pick. It's very possible they don't get that. But you have some guys like that. You have um, – they have another wide receiver on the team that I'm trying to think of. But I think I think the problem with the Titans is they're young, the receivers, other than D-Hop, are kind of younger. Like uh, Traylon Burks they have. I know they're not going to get rid of right now. But – on the defensive side, you have Jeffrey Simmons as a guy that, you know, if if push comes to shove, maybe they trade him. Kevin Byard is still a really good safety. They could trade him as well. They have some good guys on both sides of the ball that a team that is trying to win a championship this season could say, you know what, let's make a call at Tennessee, try to get give up some draft picks, and you know what, try to go all in for the Super Bowl. And on the same side for Tennessee, it's where you're looking at it like, you know what, it just didn't work out. We had an opportunity a couple of years ago after beating, uh, you know, we beat Baltimore, we beat New England, and, you know, we got to the championship game. And it just hasn't been the same since. I remember they had that one seed in 2020, and they lost to the Bengals despite Zach and Joe Pearl nine times. They had their opportunity, and it slipped past them. And now they're in the spot where they're pretty much – they might have to rebuild. See, I don't know if they will rebuild because Drabel still wants to have a job. Right, yeah, but unfortunately, that's going to keep them. That, I think that's going to keep. Brable, them back. but Brable might want that. But will the front office want that? They might be. They, they if they decide to rebuild, then that much pretty much tells you that they're going to move on from Brable at the end of the season. Oh, I one hundred percent agree with you. But it's just that it's tough with the front office. That's that's why because they're put in a situation where where Brable's in a situation now where, where Ryan Tannehill going down is not his fault, and he's pretty much on the hottest hot seat there is. Tannehill so, could be a trade candidate too. I, could he? I mean, would you actually? Was, is he uh, worth anything? Is he worth a seven? Is he worth if, a, condi- a conditional seventh round pick? If you're a team, I think the only way Tannehill maybe goes to another team, and I'm thinking about it now, maybe if if he gets cut and exactly. a team says, you know what, let's sign him as a backup or be a mentor for a quarterback in case our guy gets hurt, then we have at least someone decent enough. But. If they continue to play like this, remember the trade deadline is a I think week eight or week nine in the NFL season, so they they they're gonna get to a point where if they don't start winning games, they're gonna have to win their first game after the bye week because 
that's going to tell them if they lose the week after the bye, they're going to be two and five on the year. And I don't know what you do at that rate because how are you going to win the division if Jacksonville keeps winning? Well, you don't win the division. So, like you said, Tennessee has a lot to think about. I, I, I'm, I'm of the philosophy that the front office is going to let a uh, variable rock with whatever, with uh, whatever he wants to do, and they're not going to force feed anything. But it's going to get tough. I, I think at one point they'll just end up trading pieces and they'll let Vrabel just write, write out this contract. If anything, they'll probably give him another week or two, see if he could turn around. And after that, uh, all bets are off the table. I say if you make those trades, you see what they could do with the young talent that they drafted, and you go from there. If it works out, then you keep your job. If it doesn't, then it's just time for a change of scenery. And remember, the Titans have a lot of new stuff coming in. They have a new stadium coming up in the next couple of years. They're going to want to attract fans, and they need – a potential new face of the franchise because you can't really keep Derrick Henry as your face of the franchise for a couple more years. He's going to get older and he's going to start uh, regressing. You got to have yeah, to find this, someone. This soon. is peak value, not peak value, but about peak value for him. Right. That's why I'm saying I, I, the Titans might be in the point where they might have to consider trading him because you're going to start losing interest and value for these other teams and trying to get Derek, uh, trying to get rid of Derrick Henry. Uh, you risk the possibility of him getting hurt again. And then, there goes your value. You had no trade value whatsoever because you didn't trade him at that at the at his highest uh, his ceiling point. All right. So you mentioned this team earlier. You mentioned the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow. Bengals making a huge stop on defense to end the game and holding off the Seahawks. This Joe Burrow with two touchdowns, all of which came in the first half of the game for a 17-14 victory. What does this game mean for Seattle going forward? Because this game means uh, for Cincinnati that they're back. They're not back 100% well, yet, but they're back in the sense of they could win the division and be competitive. Yeah, the Bengals, I still ha- I think have some issues because they had a really good first half offensively, but the second half, it just seemed as if they were barely, they were just asleep at they the were, wheel. They were they were attending the game. They weren't playing it right. in the second half. And crazy enough that the Bengals' defense is the reason why they win this game. Uh, Geno Smith threw two interceptions. They had two fourth down opportunities in bat- where the Bengals were backed up into their own territory. And the Seahawks could not convert on both fourth downs, giving Cincinnati that 17 to 13 win on the end of the day. Um, Seattle's in a weird spot right now, I think. This offense on paper looks to be one of the better offenses of the NFL, but they have not been playing like that these, this entire season so far. They had that really good game against Detroit and the Panthers, obviously, but their last two games offensively, the Giants, they that, that was a game where the defense was the biggest reason why they won. And then you have this game against Cincinnati. The offense looked really bad. The defense gave them an opportunity to win, and they just couldn't capitalize. And I don't know. This is a really bad spot because you were hoping Geno Smith would have another good season after last year. Hasn't been that great so far. I think he only has five passing touchdowns on the season so far. And you really haven't seen much out of their receiving core. I mean, Lockett's been Lockett and Metcalf have been solid enough. But they were hoping for JSN to be great, and they haven't really used him as much. He's been much. kind of disappointed, to be honest with you. They haven't, yeah. They just they don't really use him as much as as fans would hope that he would. DK is kind of just looking like a like a four string receiver out there right now. I know, and he's the true number one. But the way they're just utilizing him, it's so poorly that we haven't seen over the last couple of years. And you you gotta keep in mind they're in a division where San Francisco's on top. It, it it won't be easy to win the division. There was people picking them to win the division this year over San Francisco. And it hasn't worked out so far. And the only good thing that's going for them is that the NFC 
wild card race is probably you know weak enough for them to make a wild card. But anything after that, I just don't see it happening for this team. Their defense is playing great enough this season to give them a chance, but the offense has to start picking it up the next couple of weeks. Otherwise, they have no opportunity whatsoever. So if you're Seattle, what do you do here? It's tough because what can now you... these are Because now week six in NFL and week six college football are two very different situations to be in. I think it's tough because you're in a spot where what can you do on all the offensive side? It's not that you can make a quarterback change in the, in right now. They don't have a – you might like Drew Locke, but they don't have a viable backup right now in the spot in the season. Um, the offensive line has been very hit or miss, I would say. I, I, I just don't know what you can do. It's really tough in the midpoint of the season to say what can they do to fix what they've done wrong. I think you need to – they just got to ride it out. Right, I think you need to see. I think you just need to find that Geno Smith that they saw from last season. The biggest thing that, and I'll say this: here's a good litmus test for them this upcoming weekend. They're playing the Cardinals, who are one and five. Their defense is very hit or miss, but most of the time it's it's miss. This is the this is the get right game. Remember what they did for the Bengals? They got put up 34 points. The offense looked like they were back to normal, and they got their second win of the season. This is a game for Seattle where if your offense gets back to normal like it was last season. Then that can ride the ship around the rest of the year. They're only three and two, so there's still a lot of season left for them. But this is a great litmus test for them because after that, two tough defensive games against the Browns and the Ravens, that won't be easy for this offense. So they need this game against the Cardinals to try to get their offensive woes back together. And the Cardinals will be the game to do it, and we'll see it this week. Uh, going into the next game, let's we'll talk about upsets. Talk about the 49ers. Talk about Brock Purdy and the disappointing afternoon where they lo- lose to the lowly Cleveland Browns on a last-second field goal, which I won't call chip shot only it because it was 41 yarder. yards. If it was 40 yards or below, it's a chip shot. By well, the very definition, by, by splitting hairs, which I am doing right now, it's not a chip shot. Well, let's think about the scenario going into this game for Cleveland. Obviously, Deshaun Watson was not going to play this week because of an injury, so... They started P.J. Walker this week because, obviously, Dorian Thompson-Robinson did not do his great in his first NFL start. So they went with a veteran P.J. Walker, and he didn't play great. I'll tell you that. He took two interceptions. Um, The Browns had just a decent amount enough, you know, running game-wise to get them in this one. Jerome Ford had 84 yards rushing. Kareem Hunt had the rushing touchdown. Uh, The only touchdown in the game for Cleveland in this one. Uh, Mari Cooper had a pretty good game, 108 yards out of the 192 that P.J. Walker threw. But there's a couple of things about this game. You had San Francisco dealing with getting injured a lot in this one. Trent Williams went down. Debo Samuel went down, did not return. CMC went down, and he you know, quickly returned for a, a play and then went right back out. So you kind of saw this Niners team dealing with these injuries. And because of the injuries on the offensive side, that led to Brock Purdy making mistakes. And he had one of probably his worst game of his NFL career, throwing for 125 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. And now the Niners losing their first game. And you talked about it, uh, Jake Moody, the rookie kicker out of Michigan, missing a 41-yard field goal with about six seconds left in the game, giving Cleveland the win, handing the 49ers their first loss of the season. Um... This is a tough one for San Francisco because now you go into your Mon- this Monday night football game coming up against the Vikings, and 
you're in a situation where you have all these injuries now on the offensive side. And we saw a couple years ago what that did for San Francisco. Remember, they had the Super Bowl run the year prior. Then all these injuries happened at MetLife Stadium when they played the New York Jets. And that was the end of the season for them. They lost Garoppolo. They lost Nick Bosa. Um, to name, to just the name of just the name of few, and now you're in a situation where it almost was kind of similar to that situation. You lose Trent Williams to an injury. You lose Debo. You lose CMC. Those are your three biggest players, or at least three of the biggest players on this offensive side. It looks like McCaffrey avoided a long term injury, which is good. I don't know the status of Debo or Trent Williams going into this week. I would think Debo is probably out for this Monday night football game against the Vikings. So that eliminates a playmaker right there. But as long as McCaffrey can stay healthy, that's the biggest thing because you and I both know he's had his injury issues in the past. And if he was to go down, that will really hurt this team in the long run. Yeah. CMC is the heart and soul of this team. Uh, it's not George Kittle. It's not Brock Purdy, Brandon Ayuk. It's not Nick Bosa. It isn't, uh, it isn't Demo Samuel. It is CMC. It's the man who keeps on scoring touchdowns in the most unlikely situations. Um, the 49ers will go as far as CMC will carry them. And they want to make uh, sure. Yeah, go on. Go on. And they want to make sure he's healthy before any potential playoff run. Right. I think he tied the record, too, for consecutive touchdowns in, uh, in, a, game. in a game. And remember what happened with the Niners where they didn't have CMC? They had Debo Samuel be their running back. So. When you lose CMC or Debo, and in this case they lost both, that eliminates everything you have on the offensive side. You can't run the ball. You want to get Brandon Ayuk involved, but that's a situation where Cleveland, who has a good secondary, can easily double-team Ayuk, and then you're having to look at your other options, whether it be Jawan Jennings or Ray Ray McLeod, and you want to get George Kittle involved, and you just can't because the the bounce, I've said it a lot, have ha- have a good defense on paper. And it showed out in this game, holding the Niners just to 17 points. So, if you're Cincinnati, if Cincinnati geez, if you're San Francisco, you sh- shrug this off. It's a fluke. You'll be back. Brock Purdy had probably the worst game of his career. I think it was his first loss in 10 games as well. It was his first. It was his first regular season loss of his entire NFL career. So, good players have bad games, and you can call Brock, Brock Purdy a good player, even though he's a system quarterback right now. Uh, playing in San Francisco, but he had a bad game. Now, if it, if this becomes a trend, if this happens next week, then you start looking at him to maybe trade him. If it happens against the Vikings, then it's really concerning because then you trade a, him. That's and a, then teams have figured him out. Well, I wouldn't say trade. You got tra- you can't trade him during the season at this rate. Sure you can. Who are you gonna get? You can get any other system quarterback that's an upgrade from Brock Purdy. Yeah, you can't. No, you can't do that because then you're, you're risking Sam Darnold being your starting quarterback. I'm saying you trade him for another starting caliber quarterback. I don't know who that would. Can you give me an instance of who that would be? I have no idea. Oh. I've got no idea off the top of my head. But right. name, you don't think Kirk Cousins would rate, waive his no, no trade calls to go to I San mean, Francisco? I know he said no. I mean, sure. I don't think Kirk for, Cousins would for a uh, would, chance at a, for a chance at a ring. Yeah, but I, I just don't. I think the Niners are too committed to Purdy at this rate. That's why I said. That's why I said we'll see in a couple weeks. That's like an offseason move if it doesn't work out. You look in a couple weeks and see what happens. But keep in mind, as I mentioned earlier, they were not the only undefeated team this past week to lose on the road as the Philadelphia Eagles went into MetLife Stadium this week not to take on the New York Giants, to take on the New York Jets. 
in a game where it looked in the first half, it looked like the Eagles were going to cruise with a, with a win. Um, Jalen Hurts was making some incredible throws. A.J. Brown was torching the Jets' defense, who, keep in mind, did not have Sauce Gardner and D.J. Reed going into this one. So the Jets were running third-string corners, practice squad guys, literally, as Justin Pugh said, sitting off the couch going into this game. And the Eagles in the first half pretty much handled it. They went into the half up 14-9. to They did lose Lane Johnson early in the game, which was a big injury for them. Not sure what his status is going on forward. But got to get the Jets' defense some credit for this second half. To hold the Eagles to no points in the second half, especially with the injuries you had on the secondary, is big for this team. And they forced Jalen Hurts to make some big-time mistakes. Three interceptions, including an interception that set up the game-winning touchdown for the Jets. And the Jets pull off the center, beating the Eagles 20-14. to They now go to 3-3 three and three in the season. Eagles now drop into 5-1. and one. Um, Where would you like to start off? You want to talk about the Eagles' sense side? Of, I, I uh, have no comments for this game. I said the okay. Eagles haven't looked good all season. They barely went against the Patriots. You lose against the Jets. They've been scraping by every game. They've gotten a couple of favorable calls, and it came back and bit them in the ass. I can't even rely on the Jets to beat the Eagles. I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I can't even rely on the Eagles to beat the Jets. Like, well, uh, This is how you know they're frauds. I, I, for once, had the roof for the Jets, and I was out at this game watching it live in person, and it looked like it was going to be one of those typical games where, unfortunately, the Jets just wouldn't be able to you know, stop this high-powered Eagles offense. And... I'm kind of noticing a trend as, as every time I leave the stadium, the Jets seem to play good, better football. It happened when I uh, Monday night game against the Bills. I left. They won the game in overtime. And now it happens in this one against the Eagles. And now they're 3-3 three three in the year. And you know what? Going into your bye week at that type of a record, I, Jets got they have to feel be you know feel pretty good right now about where they're sitting at, despite not having Aaron Rodgers. And your next game being against the Giants – could and, catch be over 500. And they're saying that Aaron Rodgers might be back by week 12. They are, I have heard that rumor too. So um, he, Talk to me in four weeks because I don't believe it. But on the other side for the Eagles, this is an interesting loss because look who they're playing this upcoming week. The Miami Dolphins on Sunday Night Football in Philadelphia. So I'm wondering where the Eagles may be looking ahead. I don't know. But not a good loss on paper considering the injuries the Jets had. So... Got to give your flowers to New York for pulling off this upset. And for the Eagles, now they have to bounce back against a really good Miami Dolphins offense. Yeah, I don't think I'll give them their flowers, but you could do that. Yeah, that's okay. But we'll go into the final game of the Sunday slate. And I I guess it would be kind of a snooze fest on paper just because of how poorly both offenses were playing. Uh, Buffalo taking on the Giants uh, in, in Orchard Park. A interesting game, considering that the Giants had no Andrew Thomas. Uh, John Michael Schmitz, their rookie center, was also out. And the biggest injury of all, Daniel Jones, not playing in this one. So Tyrod Taylor, the former Buffalo Bill, got the start. And early on, the Giants, I will say, they surprised me in the first half. They were able to outscore the Bills 6 to nothing. It should have been more, but... They had a really big mishap at the end of the first half that, and the scheme of things, did cost them this game. Um, to paint a picture, the Giants had a goal line opportunity, the last play of the first half. It seemed as if there was a miscommunication between Tyrod Taylor and Brian Dable. Um, Dable wanted the Giants to throw the ball because they had an opportunity to throw at least three passes in that situation. And instead, they ran the ball. Saquon got stopped at the line. 
they were not able to get another playoff and that ended the half. So think about that scheme of things. That gives the, the Giants have a chance to go up two possessions going into the half in Buffalo, but instead only keep it a one possession game. And it really hurt them because the game was still 6 nothing going into the fourth quarter. Buffalo finally struck for their first touchdown of the game in that fourth quarter. A touchdown pass to Deontay Hardy. The Giants, at that point, are now trailing 7-6. to They gave up another touchdown to Quentin Morris, now giving Buffalo a 14-6 lead. Um, they would take it. They would make it 14-9 going into the late. And the Bills had a chance to end this game on third down. Uh, we saw a big incompletion for Josh Allen throwing it to Dawson Knox. It led to a field goal opportunity for Tyler Bass, missing his second field goal of the night. So it gave the Giants a chance to win this game, Andrew. And they got down the field. And with one, you know, with I think one or two seconds left in the game, the Tyrod Taylor threw a pass in the end zone. They got the Bills got called for defensive pass interference, giving the Giants a, a an untimed down at the one yard line, a chance for redemption. And they went with a one-on-one ball from Tyrod Taylor to Darren Waller. Pass got incomplete. The big controversy, though, from the game is that Darren Waller was held on the play. There was no call on it. Buffalo barely escapes because of that, and they hold on to win 14-9 to go to 4-2 and on the season. The Giants losing a heartbreaker with, despite all the injuries, now dropping to 1-5. and As a Giants fan, for me, it was... Very infuriating just to see how this game ended because you you can tell on paper they could have won this game and probably should have won this game, but it just really slipped away from them. And as much as the controversy is, they cannot be in a scenario where the game has got to be decided by the referees. That first half mishap was a huge, huge turning point in that game. Yeah, go ahead. This is where I'm going to disagree with you, and, and I've had this position for years. No, they shouldn't. They shouldn't be in that position. But if you are in that position, and if you get screwed by referees no, like that, uh, yeah, I know you should be able. And this is why I've said this, and I've argued with certain other people on the show who that shall not be named, uh, whose name begins with a G and uh, and ends with an N. Well, really, that we've had this discussion really that we should, until you get a mistake calling the game, you should be able to have unlimited challenge flags, even if you don't have timeouts. Well, I think the biggest until thing, you uh, have a mistake that you say, "Oh, that's it." You know, uh, you already got one mistake. Now you called even if you can call ten. Imagine if you can call ten things wrong at a game and get overturned by by the uh, by replay center in New York. You know how embarrassing that would be for the NFL, and you would have seen it last night. And that's why they don't do it. And instead of the game being called correctly and the Giants winning, and I'm again, I'm not a Giants fan. You get this mediocrity that gets to be celebrated now in the Buffalo Bills. Because they're another Roger Goodell darling. I think the other thing is also is there's now a I've seen the topic of should coaches be able to challenge you know pass interference calls? Yes, no they should call. be able to challenge every call on the field until you get a, a call until you get something wrong. That's and, how it should be played. And I, I don't know because this was one of those cases where yes, I, I I'm saying here's what I'm saying. I'm I'm of the notion where the Giants shouldn't have been in that spot to begin with because of the first the first half mishap. But at the same time, you don't want to lose on that situation where the referees take it out of your hands because there was people saying won the ball. But 
as a Giants fan, why would you trust to run the run the ball on the one yard line considering what happened in the first in half? In the first half. I agree with you. So it's tough because you're in a really bad spot. And I didn't hate the play. You're going to your big tight end who's going up against the corner. The problem for Darren Waller is with him being tugged on that play, he was not able to get as much elevation as he and wanted you know, to bring down and, the ball. And you know what the biggest joke and the biggest spit in someone's face is? The official NFL account posted the angle of him getting tugged down saying, yeah. what a great win, win for the Bills. If, yes. you, if that doesn't show you how rigged the NFL is, I don't know what will. But the official, they could have picked any other angle to upload a photo from. And that's the one they go with. That's yeah. blatantly that's blatant disrespect. Uh, at least the NBA, they don't get everything right, but they have at least they at least have the uh the, they at least have the uh the forward thinking to say, you know what, you know what, we didn't get everything right here. And here's a two minute report showing all the things that we as an organization got wrong, and we're gonna send the refs for more training. And they've gotten better over the years. Everyone remembers Tim Donahue and Joey Crawford, how awful they were. The officiating is still not great, but it gets better every year. Yeah, I don't know. The Giants are – it's a tough spot for them as well because this was a game where if you won, you would have shot the NFL world because considering they, they were 15-point underdogs going into this game. And they had a chance to win. They could have made it could have made the record 2-4. and four. I don't know if it would have given you any hope, but considering you play Washington this week, a win against Washington gives you puts you at three and four. Then you play the Jets. Maybe you can win that it one definitely gives five hundred. So it would have given you hope, but now at this point, you lose on controversial fashion, and now you're one and five, and you're in a spot where it's it's really tough to make the playoffs at that rate. And we still don't know this the what's going on with Daniel Jones. He might play this week against the Commanders. Um, but Tyrod didn't play too terrible other than that one big play and the fir- end of the first half. He made some good throws in this one. And if he has to play this upcoming weekend, I'm not completely concerned with him playing. It's just, at the end of the day, it's just a frustrating loss because you know they could have won. It really it just slipped away from them just because of multi- a multitude of things. And Buffalo, on the other side of it, they, they, they survive. I mean, they did not play great in this game. The Giants' defense gave them a lot of hell in this one, but they they scratch out and claw and get a close win to now go to four and two on the season. And you'll be seeing them this upcoming week, Johnson, as they take on your New England Patriots. Oh boy! Well, yeah, get me ready. Yep, we'll get ready. But before we go into the Week Seven mushing hour, we must talk about the final game of the week, being the Monday Night Football game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, another game in which both these teams were not really taking advantage of each other's mishaps and for the Chargers mishaps really happening on the Brandon Staley side of things because we all know uh, he, he's, an, he's an excellent head coach and he deserves the biggest extension in NFL uh, history. And then you wake up. Um, but yeah, no, the Brandon Staley making some really interesting choices to say the least for this game. Uh, the Cowboys offense was, I guess I could say on and off. I mean, couldn't run the ball. Pollard had a really tough time running. Uh, same side of things, the Chargers also could not run the ball. So both teams really struggled. But Pollard did make a big catch that set up Dallas for a score in the fourth quarter going to Brandon Cooks. Uh, CeeDee Lamb at 117 yards in this game. Dak Prescott had a passing and rushing touchdown. 
Dak was pretty good in this game. I can't I can't uh, digress. He did play really well as much as I don't really like him. But the big story for Dallas was their defense made a stop when they needed it the most. Uh, Justin Herbert had a chance to go down the field and tie the game or win it for the Chargers. But Micah Parsons got a sack on second and short to force a third and long. And then the Cowboys forced pressure on that third and long to force Justin Herbert to throw a game-winning interception for the Cowboys as they hold on to beat L.A. 20-17. to They go into their bye week at 4-2. and And tough loss for the Chargers as they now drop to 2-3. and And they're going into Arrowhead this week to take on the Chiefs. So they really need to bounce back because it's not going to be an easy one trying to go on the road and win that one. Season could be over before it started again for the Chargers. Yep, and Brandon Staley's uh, job could be even more higher than it possibly is. If you lose against the Chiefs, uh, they should probably fire him. Well, he should have been fired to begin with. <laughs> oh, no, I, I agree. I've been saying this for the last year and a half now, but yeah, I'm saying like this should be the, stall, the straw that breaks the camels back when they eventually lose an hour ahead again. Yeah, this this was an, an, another one where the, chi- the Chargers should have won, and they just, they just couldn't take advantage. And they had that opportunity late in the fourth quarter, and the offensive line just... Really, this you know just kind of fell flat at the biggest you know spot in the game, and Micah Parsons and them took advantage of it. Stephon Gilmore got the game-winning interception, and Dallas gets some momentum, especially with the Eagles' loss. They're now one game out of the division after that previous show that they had the week before against San Francisco. They're now right back into the thick of it. Just shows you uh, you can't take anything for granted in the National Football League. No, you cannot. But you know what you can take for granted, Johnson, is the mushing hour. As we now head into week number seven of the National Football League. And we have a, I'm trying to do my math, seven game slate this week. I am struggling with my math this entire weekend. Nonetheless, seven games on the slate. Uh, I will say last week was a horrible week once again for me. I'm having a really rough NFL year. And I will try anything possible at this rate to try to fix it. You went five and four last week, so you remain above 500 on the season. Let's see what happens this week. Going into our Week 7 mushing hour as we'll start off with the Thursday night game this upcoming week as we have the Jacksonville Jaguars going into the Caesars Superdome in New Orleans to take on the New Orleans Saints. The current line for this one, the Saints are a one-point favorite over under a 39.5. Now, you're probably wondering why the Saints are a one-point favorite in this game. Trevor Lawrence might potentially not play in this game, so there is a strong chance he might not play. That could really derail things for Jacksonville if they try to go to 5-2 and two in the season. But being that as it may, does that injury impact your decision here, Johnson, or will it impact it enough to make you pick New Orleans? Uh, can you remind me who the, uh, the Jags' backup is? Is it C.J. Beathard? It is C.J. Beathard. Okay. He's not a terrible backup. He's all right. I don't want to say he's... Do you think he can lead Calvin Ridley, Christian uh... Kirk, Evan Ingram? Uh... I'll um, tell you this. Travis Etienne to victory. Do you, I was say, a, do you think you can be an efficient game manager? That's what I'm asking. I was going to say, it would have to be a big Travis Etienne game for them to win this game. Yeah, I mean, I think he can lead them to victory. So that being said, even if they don't get him back in time, I'm going to take Jags Moneyline because I think Trevor Lawrence will eventually play. And if he doesn't, I still kind of have faith that he'll get it done. Well, I'm at the point where the Saints have annoyed me so much because anytime I pick them, they lose, and anytime I pick against them, they win. So they have probably been the most annoying team to me the entire season. So being that as it is, we're going to have our first mush of the week. I am going to take the Jacksonville Jaguars money line. Uh, I don't trust this team. Lock it team. in for the Saints. 
Saints are probably going to win now because we both took them. But I do expect Travis Etienne to have a monster game, even if Trevor Lawrence plays, just so that he doesn't have to do as much as he would do in previous games. All right. The second game we have, we have the Atlanta Falcons on the road going into Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay, taking on the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers are two and a half point favorites at home, and the over-under is slated at 38. Uh, give me Bucks money line. Uh, give me Bucks money line. I have faith that Baker Mayfield will continue having a decent season and maybe even contend for, to win that division. So give me Tampa Bay money line. Well, another thing for this one is Baker Mayfield does have a hand contusion on his non-throwing hand right now. So he is questionable for this game. So that's something to also monitor going into this one. But it's tough right now to pick the Falcons because you have Desmond Ritter making, you know, going from one game where he has a monster one win against the Texans and then throws a, a tough a couple of interceptions against the Commanders. And now he has six interceptions on the season. And... The Falcons, I just can't decipher what they currently are at this moment. Um, so being that as it is, I'm going to take Tampa Bay minus two and a half, so we don't have a full mush on this one. I just think the Bucks' defense is going to be the reason why they win this game. All righty, Vance, you're taking the Bucks. I will take Tampa Bay minus two and a half. All right, so you do have faith in Baker Mayfield. That's good to hear. Uh it's more of I don't have. It's not even that I have faith in Baker. It's more of I don't have faith in Ritter right now with the way. He's been Jekyll and Hyde, and I'm afraid that he's going to throw a couple of interceptions against this Buccaneers defense. Well, I tried saving your Baker. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's go on to the next game. We have the Detroit Lions going on the road, going into Baltimore. Uh, I think it's M&T Bank Stadium, correct yes. if I'm wrong. Taking on the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore at home, minus three-point favorites. 42 is the slated over-under. Dan Campbell going into Baltimore. He's going into a hostile environment. Give me Lions plus three. Baltimore hasn't looked great this season. Really? Okay. Odell has battled injuries. The defense doesn't look that great. Uh, Lamar, when he tries to throw to his receivers, they just seem to spit out the ball like it's a child uh, spitting out vegetables because they don't want it. Um, he can <laughs> put it right in their chest. No, yeah, I'm being serious. Like no, They, they cough up the ball. They don't want it. You can throw the ball right at their chest and they'll just drop it. Uh, so Lamar is only one man, and Mark Andrews is only one man. They can't carry this team to um, – victory give me the well cohesive unit i can't believe i'm using that to describe this lines team or any lines team a well-oiled machine that wants to play football games with a head coach in dan campbell give me the lines to at least cover i don't know if they're gonna win but give me lines plus three since you're gonna give me the points well my biggest concern for the lions is that david montgomery doesn't look like he's gonna play in this game i think he's gonna be out for a couple weeks uh they also have other injuries to Jonah Jackson and Brian Branch. We don't know if Jameer Gibbs will play this week either. So that will really hurt the Lions and try to run the football against this Ravens defense. That pretty much will tell Baltimore, listen, they're going to be throwing the football. So as long as you get, you know, cover Amon Ra and Jamison Williams, that gives the Ravens a great chance to win. And their defense has been a big reason why they've won most of their games this season. Their offense has been very suspect, I will say that. But I think as long as you have Lamar Jackson, it gives you an opportunity to win. So I'm going to take Baltimore minus three in this one. I think the Lions just at some point have to also lose. I just They're having a great, you know, a lot of momentum going right now. I just think we need to pump the brakes a little bit. I think a loss will do them good in the long run in this great scheme of things because if they win, then every team's going to, you know, turn their focus to them because everyone's going to say, oh, this Lions team probably might be the best team in the NFC. 
That's so, weird. Can we not say that? I know. That's a weird sentence to say, but I think this will be fine for Detroit losing this game because then you got the Raiders coming up the week after. So a loss will not hurt Detroit at the end of the day. So I think Baltimore gets it done at home. Give me Baltimore minus three. All right, then. So let's go into our next game then. We're going to have the Pittsburgh Steelers going on the road, going into Los Angeles to take on the Rams. The Rams at home are three-point favorites, and the over-under slated at 42. Really like these minus three 42 games this week, NFL. Real original. Uh, The Rams have looked pretty good lately, but the Steelers' defense is nothing to be messed with. They are a brick wall of a defense. And it looks like when Kenny Pickett decides to call his own plays and calls an audible, they have an offense. So I will trust Kenny Pickett to ignore Matt Canada on at least four or five calls, which will result in a touchdown. But it's not going to be enough for them to win. But give me Steelers to lose by a field goal. Give me Steelers plus three. Okay. Uh, you spoke about a, po- a talking point that I, I liked about this game. You have uh, the Steelers defense is good. But the Rams defense is also, I think, pretty solid. And these are two quarterbacks that are known to make some bad you know, mistakes and throw some interceptions. So I think this will be a really good defensive showing. Both teams, I think, will come out to play. I'm going to take the under for this game. Uh, the line right now looks at between 42 to 44 points. Either way, no matter what it is between that, that amount of uh, total, I still think the under hits in this one. So I will take the under for Pittsburgh at Los Angeles. I like the under. That's a that's an interesting one. I, uh, I mean, pretty much like betting any Steeler game is like a guaranteed it's under. Pretty much an under, yeah, most of the time. But yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, about that call you have there. All right. Anyway, let's go into our next game. We have spoke of this game earlier. We have the Los Angeles Chargers on the road going to Arrowhead Set Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri. Not Kansas City, Kansas, like some people think. Uh, taking on the Chiefs. Chiefs are five and a half point favorites at home over under slated at 48. Uh, give me Kansas City minus five and a half uh, with a bonus prop bet of, of plus 250 for Brandon Staley to get fired this week. <laughs> what, are those, uh, what are those odds of Brandon Staley getting fired? I don't know, but you can probably find them offshore. Okay. Okay. I don't hate that. Uh, this is tough because I think the, Char- the Chargers and Chiefs always play some really close games. Um... And most of the time, it's a charge. Chargers losing it uh, at the end of the day, and I think this is going to be another close one. Now, I did take I took Denver to cover last week, and I almost almost worked out, but the Chiefs got a late field goal to cover for themselves. I think the Chargers lose this one by a field goal, so I'm going to take Chargers plus five and a half. Wow, so you're saying that Brandon Staley's going to keep his job? No, they're still going to lose, but I think the Chargers uh, will lose by three. I think it's going to be a scenario where Mahomes gets down the field. They kick a game-winning field goal with Harrison Bucker, and they hold on to win again. All right, I don't hate that. Okay, so for our next game we have, we have the Miami Dolphins going into the link. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania taking on the Eagles, who are at home. Philadelphia minus two-point f- favorites, and the over-under slated at 52. I don't think either of these teams are that good. I've said this before a couple I times. I mean, think about this, the scenario where we have Tua Tagovailoa facing Jalen Hurts, the former teammates at Alabama. For the first, first time ever. For the first time in the NFL, are facing off against each other. They've never faced. That seems they didn't like face a weird stat. Either. 
That's right. Yeah, it seems like a weird stat, but it's it's completely true because they were on the same team. Then Alabama and obviously Oklahoma, they're different conferences. They don't play each other. They don't schedule each other for non-conference. They will soon. And they never, and they, and they, yeah, they will soon, uh, but they never match up in the college football playoffs. So that's where the uh, confusion comes in. But give me Philadelphia minus two to win at home. I think they'll cover. I think they'll win. It'll be a close game, but I think uh, the Eagles will pull this out. So fly Eagles fly just this week. Disgusting. Um, I'm not going to take any team to win. These are two of the best offenses in football. I probably will. The under will now probably hit because I said this, but I think you have to look at all the playmakers on both of these sides of the ball. And I, I, you know, Tyreek Hill, Waddle for the, the Dolphins, Brown and Devonta Smith for the Eagles and the receiving court nonetheless. And I just think both of these secondaries are going to have a rough time going at it. And I think we're going to have a high scoring game. The over under right now is slated at 52 points. I like that a lot. I could see this being a 30 to 27 final. So I will take the over for this game. All right, and we have one last game, and it's uh, maybe the game of the week. Is it? Can we call no. it the Kirk Cousins Bowl? Why would it be the Kirk Cousins Bowl? Because uh, he's going to stay a Viking, or he's going to get traded to this team. <laughs> I, mean, gonna... pay, I guess you could paint it like that, but it's probably not going to happen. Probably not, but I'm going to call it the Kirk Cousins Bowl anyway. Okay. We have the San Francisco 49ers leaving Santa Clara and going into Minneapolis, Minnesota to take on the Minnesota Vikings. San Francisco, minus seven-point favorites on the road. Over under slated at forty four. Give me forty nineers minus seven. They're gonna blow up Minnesota. They're gonna destroy their hopes and dreams. Justin Jefferson's not gonna come back for the rest of the season. They're gonna tank for Caleb Williams, and you're gonna get a fifth round conditional pick for Kirk Cousins. Oh, this is tough because the Niners have these injuries. I don't know where they stand right now. Probably CMC's gonna play. I don't know if Debo is gonna play as well as Trent Williams, but. The Justin Jefferson injury, if they had not played the Bears this past week, the Vikings probably lose to any other team. Um, Their offense just looked really bad without Justin Jefferson, and I think you're now facing a great defense like the Niners have. I I just don't see a scenario in which they win this game. But my only concern is this seven points a lot, because that is a lot of points to give to uh, the Niners on prime time. I think this is a game where they bounce back. I'm going to take San Francisco minus five and a half. I'm going to go alternate spread on this one. Going to just play it safe this week, Johnson. Trying to get my record up. And that brings us to the end of the mushing hour. So, uh, Nick, would you like to um, say any final comments before we sign off for the rest of the night? Uh, well, I will say it was definitely a weird week number six in the NFL world. Uh, a lot of upsets, obviously, now no longer having any undefeated teams in the NFL landscape. But now we head into week seven. Will we have any other crazy upsets or any wild finishes? I'm sure it will happen, but we'll still try and get a feel of who the best teams in the NFL are. We thought the Eagles and the Niners were the best two teams. They had big uh, blunders this week. We're still trying to figure out who the best team is. I don't, I couldn't even tell you right now who it is. is I still it, think it's San Francisco. Is it Detroit? Is it San Francisco? Is it Miami? Is it Philly? Is I don't know. I can't get. I can't give you one team. And that's would, the beauty of football. That's the beauty of football. Any given Sunday, who knows what could happen? And we and we saw it this past week. 
anything can happen in the NFL world. And we still have a little bit of a way to go to determining who are the best teams in the National Football League. But that is going to do it for this week's edition of the All Gas No Break Sports Show. As we have mentioned, week number six is in the books. We now head to week number seven. Will be another great slate of some NFL action as we find try to find out who are these good teams and who are the pretenders. We'll have to see as the season goes on. This has been Nicholas Pavona, joined alongside by Andrew Johnson with the All Gas No Break Sports Show. Have a great rest of your weekend.